before I just start chit-chatting, which is going to be the nature of this podcast, I'm going to read to you, you know, I don't know if many of you would have read it. It's quite a dense article, but it's what I wrote for the Butterfly Foundation about weight stigma and about how overcoming weight stigma is crucial, whether or not you have lived experience with weight stigma. So I'm just going to read you the start of that article because I feel like it kind of like summarizes where I stand, who I see my audience as, and I acknowledge my limitations. I live and have always lived in a thin and fairly conventionally attractive body. However, I have not always recognized this. Just so we're clear, when I say conventionally attractive, I don't mean what I think is beautiful. I mean a body that is pretty close to society's Eurocentric beauty standard. We need to recognize that this unfortunately exists so we can see how we're trying to perform to it and how we can dig deep to try and reject it. Society tells us it's beauty standard through the bikini models it chooses, news reporters it hires, movie stars it photographs, Pilates instructors it follows, and TikTok stars it worships. One example of thin privilege is the ability to go into shops and buy clothes in your size. That gets unpacked more in the article, but then I just provide some links in the article, which I also recommend you go and read. Over the last few years, recognizing my thin privilege has propelled me into unlearning fat phobia. It's important to recognize that many of us likely still hold fat phobic beliefs unless we're already unlearning them. You should feel proud, not ashamed, if you're noticing fat phobia for the purpose of trying to unlearn it. I hope my message encourages you to take a similar journey to me and that, as a byproduct of learning about thin privilege and unlearning fat phobia, you get a head start in the race to body acceptance. Run, don't walk. It's a race where everyone wins, except possibly the patriarchy, the $530 billion beauty industry, and the $4.5 trillion wellness economy. I don't aim to ditch all beauty and wellness expenditure, just the stuff that doesn't serve us on the basis that we're buying it because the world tells us we're not hot enough, thin enough, or good enough as we are. Because there is so much nuance in thin privilege, I'm directing my message to people who share my lived experience of having thin privilege in a conventionally attractive body. I hand on my heart, understand if you don't relate to my message because you feel that I can't relate to where you're coming from. So this is the bit of the article that I mainly am wanting to highlight at the start of this podcast and this whole podcast series. I have no lived experience as a person who has one, thin privilege, but feels anything but privilege from that thinness, i.e. people naturally thinner than what is conventionally attractive or showing visible signs of certain eating disorders. Two, I have no lived experience as a person who has experienced life with and without thin privilege. Three, I have no lived experience as a person who has thin privilege, but who doesn't live in a conventionally attractive body. And four, I have no lived experience as a person who has thin privilege, but whose skin color, cultural background, gender identity, sexual orientation, ability, or other identity markers intersect with how their thinness or body generally is perceived. I am a thin, white, heterosexual, cisgender, able-bodied woman. In our dynamic, I do the listening. That's all I wanted to read from that article, but it's just important to me that we're all on the same page about who I think I'm relating to and who I think that I can kind of influence. And I guess that is people who have similar lived experience to me. 
Now that I've got my caveats out of the way, I thought I would just start by discussing how I started conceiving. It started as conceiving food babies. I used to make like beautiful smoothie bowls. You might remember this if you're an OG follower or if you scroll back, you can find them. But I used to make beautiful smoothie bowls and like really bright, like veggie filled breakfasts and whatever and raw desserts. And so they all were like sexy and impressive. And so I would take photos of them and send them to my friends. And I actually remember I used to upload photos to Facebook. So this is like a while ago because Facebook was still relevant. Anyway, and I was like, okay, this is not the forum for it. I don't need to spam my friends like different screenshots every time. I'm just going to make an Instagram account for like my 15 or 20 best friends, put it on private. They can follow it. I'll put all my food on there. So that's how Conceiving Food Babies started. Now, obviously that name is so fucking off brand for what I talk about now, but it's so telling of where I was at at the time. And I think it was like 2015, 2016. And at that time I thought I was like, what did I think I was? I thought I was health and like nutrition personified despite having no practical training like I just thought that I knew you know what bodies needed and what I needed because you know I'd been to naturopaths and like looking back now I call that period of time my unhealthily healthy era so that's where I was at it was very much wellness fortunately for me I wasn't orthorexic and I didn't have an eating disorder but looking back now I would say yeah like they were mildly disordered habits I'm going to give you a few stories. Basically, let's just think of it. I started it in 2016 and now we're in 2021 and it's changed dramatically. Yes, I love sharing food, but one, the food I share is so different. Like let's say I go to Picolina like once a week and I just tell you what flavors I had. When I first started going to Picolina, say, I don't even know when Picolina started, let's call it 2019, I would have been that person who uploaded the ice cream saying, it's okay to have a treat. Like if you have a balanced diet, you can have this as well which to me now just screams like, bitch, you were trying to convince yourself more than you were trying to convince everyone else. But having had that experience of the subtle effects of diet culture, like, of course, I never said to someone, hey, you shouldn't eat too much ice cream because you'll fucking be unhealthy and put on weight. If someone said that to us, we know that's crook. But when someone says, hey, it's okay to have this part of a balanced diet, who isn't a doctor, I don't care if my doctor says that to me, but let's say an Instagram person is saying that to you, what's their motivation? Like, what the fuck are they trying to say? Because it probably does come down to how it makes you look or how your health is. And if someone's not qualified to say that, what is the motivation? And I did that. So I'm like taking ownership of that, but I'm just saying that's a really good, yeah, the ice cream one is a really good comparison. Whereas now I'm like, Hi, the cultured butter special at Piccolina is insane. It is available for the next six days. Also, I got passion fruit and hazelnut. And it's like, I'm just doing the thing. Not like justifying it or preaching. I'm just doing the thing. And that is also my view on the posed and unposed, like before and after shots almost, where it's like the same thin person who poses in how they would usually pose on Instagram. And then they have a photo of themselves unposed being like, look, I have roles too. And I'm like, that's fine, but stop making a song and dance about it. Just like upload the photo without the justification, upload the photo of yourself existing. And that's how I think about food that... My account used to be like gluten-free because I'm celiac, I have to do that. Dairy-free, don't have to do that. And refined sugar-free, absolutely don't have to do that. 
It used to be those foods. And if I deviated from those foods in a refined sugar or a dairy way, there'd usually be this like weird little caveat. Like last year when this account was kind of evolving majorly, or maybe that was like 2019, 2020, I stopped posting food and I'll just like repost accounts of people I know who I'm like, they cook better food. They have better recipes. Go and follow them for your food stuff. I don't want to do food stuff anymore. But then one of my best friends was like, but Georgia, you don't understand. Like you used to make banana smoothie bowls. And that set the standard of what like food was good and acceptable because I was, I was being like what Instagram wanted you to eat in, you know, 2015, 2016, 2017. And now I feel like, and I hope that it's so obvious that I'm eating for like nourishment and enjoyment. I don't see food as fuel. That's I'm, I'm just different to some people. I see it as nourishment and enjoyment. And so my friend was saying, get off your high horse. Like you don't need to do perfect recipes But share your food, you, you know, enjoying your food with reckless abandon is liberating to other people. And, you know, whilst I can acknowledge that, like when I first did an article on fat phobia for Mamma Mia, I only got one troll and they were like, yeah, it's all well and good for you who's like this skinny white girl to upload all these photos. Imagine if someone in a bigger body did this, like uploaded the amount of butter you eat or picolina or whatever it is. And I was like, fair, absolutely. So yes, I'm not just saying, oh, follow me, be liberated, Because I can understand that it's easy for me to show this food that I eat and enjoy that, you know, of course I eat so many veg, but like my food is quite decadent. I have like a rich taste. I can eat food, any food I want in public or post any food I want online and no one will have a crack at me. And that's thin privilege. So these are the stories that I want to address. One that really sticks out in my head is one of my best friends. She copped the brunt of my like bad body image and, you know, lack of self-confidence and just, I've always been confident, but I, you know, self-confidence is new as in like liking who I am. Well, yeah, that's it. Liking who I am. I just didn't like who I was early on. and didn't know how to. So she dealt with most of that. But yeah, when I do reflect on like how much time her and I spent together and how much of that time, you know, I was like, of course, a fun energy, a big energy, but there was always like comparison and self-doubt. And anyway, this kind of culminated in like we're in Europe together and we're in Positano. We are like, we are living and we're swimming in this beautiful beach. And I don't know what I'd been saying, but I remember sitting on pebbles, like hot pebbles on the beach. I remember looking at my body like with disgust. And then we went into the water and we were swimming and she was just like, George, like you need to do something about, I don't know, she wouldn't have even said it like that, but it was basically like you have such low, like your sense of self is like not there. Like you need to build it. You need to cultivate it. Something needs to happen. And I literally just took a breath and swam underwater and breaststroked away. I think I just laughed. I was like, oh, can't be fucked. So that was 2015. So that's where I was at. It was really noticeable to people around me. Then things kind of went on as they went on. I was still very diet culture. wouldn't have had a clue what thin privilege was. And then we get to 2018 and I went to Africa with The Hunger Project, which is a charity I do a lot of work with. I love them. It's all about ending global hunger and poverty through sustainable and female empowering ways. But they also do heaps of coaching for their investors. I just have gotten so much out of that. Kemi Nekvapil was our facilitator. We're in Uganda. Last day of the trip, I hadn't cried yet. Everyone had like cried. It was an emotional trip. And I was kind of like, oh, I'm so indulgent. It's not about you, which I'm telling you that clue to show you how tapped out of my heart space I was because I promise I have a point. So we're doing this meditation on the last day. 
And this is like the big self-development day, big session, big seminar. We've been visiting communities in rural Uganda all week, meeting these incredible people who are like being empowered with the tools they need to break their own poverty cycle. Like this is big. We're doing this meditation because it was about, you know, mindset shifting, like in the same way that the village partners that we just met had to shift their mindsets to believe they were capable of, you know, getting out of their cycle of hunger and poverty. What were we going to break our cycle of? And Kemi was doing this um, meditation, you know, imagine your life. What do you want to do? And I was like, fuck yeah. Imagining myself walking through like bougie office corridors, traveling the world for my work, doing charity work, like doing all the things, having a family. I was like, this is so fun. And then she was like, okay, now imagine how you want to speak to yourself throughout your life. And I was like, oh, because I just knew like, and I'm still working through this, that it was so, mine was so toxic how I spoke to myself about my body, about if I was good enough, whatever. She fleshed that out a bit more. And then she said, you are enough just by existing. Remember that you don't need to do anything to earn praise or earn your place. Like you are enough. And she was saying that in the context of all that negative self-talk that we give ourselves is usually about not enoughness. That's what it usually boils down to. Not lovable, not smart enough, not good enough, not thin enough, whatever it is. Our negative self-talk is usually coming from a scarcity mindset, a, a place of lacking. And I was, when she said that, she was like, you know, Basically, yeah, you don't have to prove yourself. You can get out of bed and do nothing and you're enough. And I just remember thinking, nah, she's lost me. Kemi doesn't get it. She's too like woke, too coachy, too wholesome. I do need to do stuff when I get out of bed to prove myself and to like myself. And then she goes, okay, think about how that comment sat with you about you just being enough as you are. If you rejected it, imagine if your best friend asked you, hey, am I enough as I am? And imagine if you said to your best friend, no, bitch, sorry, you're not. Every day when you get out of bed, you have to do stuff to prove that you're enough. And I was like, because I'm the biggest uplifter of other people. I love empowering other people. And I was like, I have to live with myself in my own body for my whole life. Here I am, could sing the praises of every single person around me but I couldn't even stomach the idea of just being enough as I was. So then we got up from the meditation. We had to do this, you know, vision commitment action. Like what's your vision? I can't remember what mine was. What's your commitments? But then you had to have tangible actions. And my action was like, learn to like yourself. Anyway, we had to go around and say it in a circle. It got to me and I couldn't speak. I'm talking avalanche of tears, which came from deep inside my stomach. And I'm like blubbering. And I see that I've told them this. They know I don't mean this in a facetious way. Like I see like Kemi and a few of the other facilitators on the trip from the hunger project, almost like looking at each other, like, yes, their hearts were breaking. Cause they were like, oh, this girl's like feeling the feels, but they were looking at each other. Like, finally she's cracked. And I'm like crying. I'm like, I need to learn. Okay. Oh, Kemi was kind of like, are you happy to share? I was like, yep. Couldn't really speak, but I was like, I need to learn to like myself. And she was like, and how are you going to do that? And I was like, I've got no fucking idea. And so that was that. And then the next week I was in Kenya by myself and I actually was really deeply uncomfortable in Africa, not fear of the environment, but I was by myself. I was seeing such beautiful things, but I was like, why am I not happy? Like what is going on here? And I was like, am I codependent? Like I never had a boyfriend at the time, but I just like was constantly surrounded by friends. But it was the best thing I could have done. I honestly would have written thousands of words. I had like a stomach thing. And so I was like stuck in a hotel in Kenya. And I remember one of the first things that I was like, right, this is a first step to learning to like myself. I always have done grat prac, like three things I'm grateful for every day, but they're always external. It was like, you know, 
my mum doing this for me, my workplace doing this, my beautiful bed I have to sleep in. I was going to stick with my gut prac, the external one, and then there was going to be an internal one, which was three things I was grateful for to myself every day. Two of those things could be about like my brain or other things that I'm confident about. You know, I went for a really beautiful big run today and I, my lungs felt like they were sucking in air. Two, I learned something or I did a piece of homework, but the third one had to be aesthetic. I'm going to caveat this right now. Beauty Redefined is a great account. They are so about liking yourself for who you are, not how you look. And I am so on board with that. But it was at this point that I actually needed to like start buying into this more holistic way of thinking that I actually still needed an aesthetic thing to like train myself to not hate my body. And on the first time I was doing those scrap pracs, they were taking me like 20 minutes, half an hour. I'll get into my tent on my bed every night. And I'll be like, all right, the time is here. And I am a wordsmith. Like I am good with words and I just couldn't, they couldn't come. I actually feel like I've got a prickle in my eyes because I'm like, I want to give that girl a hug. But I remember like, yeah, sitting down before bed and I just didn't have anything to say. And whatever the aesthetic thing was, I couldn't write it without giving her a but, X, Y, Z, but. And then I would say something rude about my body. That's where I was in 2018. But that was like, crucial pivotal moment and I hate how stereotypical this is like you know privileged white girl fucking goes to Africa and finds herself when I got back from Uganda I felt like I was in a great place I was like I know what I need to do I'm good I'm ready separate to like the body image stuff from like 16 17 like honestly to the last few years like it's only recently that I feel that I've moved away from this I was very self-destructive in my drinking like I wouldn't drink alone I wouldn't consciously turn to alcohol to numb things. I just would get carried away. And it was like at best, like kind of like funny and outrageous and at worst destructive and then at like absolute worst hurtful to other people when I would just make dumb decisions when I was drinking. So this was kind of happening when I got back from Uganda and I literally could not understand why, like bad, like a few times in a row. And one of my best friends was like, why don't you go and see a therapist? I was like, hmm. Okay. And I knew I needed to see a therapist. I tried therapy before, before Uganda. I was just like, I'm a bit off. They were psychologists. They were just, it just wasn't working for me. Then I found Vanessa. If you're listening to this, probably bloody a quarter of you have gone to Vanessa because I just give Vanessa's name out. Went to Vanessa. Two things. First thing. Hey, Vanessa, don't really know why I'm here. You know, I have all my armor up. That's why I'm like putting on this pizzazz because that was the vibe I was giving her. Don't know why I'm here. I don't feel like I have a problem with alcohol, but I get carried away. I don't know what the issue is. Can we please unpack that? Secondly, I feel like everyone else thinks I'm too much. And as I was doing that, my hand was above my head, which it is now. But I think I'm not enough. As I was doing that, my hand was like at my belly button, which it is now. And then I was like, so I just want to like combine those two things and just bring it into a happy medium. And as I was saying that, my hand was on my heart. And this is where we come back to the thread of like me not being in my heart space. That was really the only brief I ever gave Vanessa. Now, we quickly dismissed the alcohol. That is just a product of me being a very impulsive person, a very extroverted person. That is just something I still have to be conscious of, like pace yourself. I'm a big personality that is, and then it gets bigger when I drink. And I'm saying this in a comical way, but it's actually been like the the thing that has brought me down in the last like eight years and in really big ways, like not my story to tell parts of it. So that's something that I just always have to be really conscious of. But Vanessa and I didn't really actively work through the alcohol thing. I think it was like other stuff that we unpacked about learning to like myself. And it was like this deep, this like fear or belief that I was unlovable. And I didn't realize that before I went to therapy. Now, I know there's privilege in going to therapy, but I could not recommend it more. Even if you don't think you have a problem, 
I just think if you have the means or if you can find the means, it is invaluable. And also going therapist shopping is invaluable. I'd been to a few before I found my girl. So that's 2015, Positano, 2018, Hunger Project, we're starting the whole like self-love thing. And then I would say 2020 last year is when I really stepped into my like power and beliefs as I am now, which is like COVID, lockdown, not being out in the world, distracted by everything, going a mile a minute. It was like coming home to myself, getting clear, slowing down, taking time to learn. Black Lives Matter was massive as well because I started, I was like, right, you need to absolutely increase your learning. Started following all these different accounts, realized how body image, weight stigma, diet culture stuff is racist and how unlearning weight stigma and unlearning diet culture, it's not just for me to improve my body image, that's a byproduct. It's a social justice issue because it's rooted in race. That's a big one to keep coming back to. If you think, "Mm, I don't give a shit, I'm happy being who I am, I'm happy being a bit restrictive. That's fine for you if you've made that decision, but just be aware that that's also a decision. If you're choosing not to unlearn weight stigma and choosing not to unlearn diet culture, that's a conscious decision that takes you away from equality, not closer to equality. The reason I tell all these stories is because they kind of bring together my equation for improving body image. And the reason I'm obsessed with improving body image is because when we don't feel like we're enough, I feel like we can't step into our power. And when we're not in our power, then we're not like, changing the world, living our best lives, relaxing, feeling free, feeling great. So the equation is learning to like myself plus unlearning weight stigma and diet culture equals improved body image. I never once talked about body image with Vanessa. She actually said to me, do we need to discuss body image? Like, have we ever discussed that? I was like, when I started coming to you, I was probably like coming out of my like wellnessy bad body image phase. But I think incidentally, the work we've been doing has kind of just made me like myself enough that like the body image thing is fine. Like we don't even need to discuss it. My concerns or whatever feelings I had have basically evaporated. And yeah, it's a lifelong job working on your body acceptance. But I think we look at it the wrong way. I think we go, okay, I need to work on my body image, but without digging. And then we wonder why we, we say to ourselves, oh, I'm going to be kinder to myself. I'm not going to check my calories. I'm not going to weigh myself. I'm going to be more accepting of my body. But we haven't like done the other thing. It's kind of like you've got all the ingredients for a cake. You've got your eggs, your flour, your butter, your vanilla, everything. And you want to just ice the cake. The icing on the cake is the body image improving, right? That's the icing. So you're like, why can't I ice this cake? And you're trying to ice a batter right now in this analogy. So you've got a wet batter and you can't ice it. That's because you haven't cooked the cake. The cooking of the cake, that's the heat. That is the fire. That is where the magic happens. That is where you rise like the cake. The cooking of the cake is learning to like yourself and unlearning your weight stigma and diet culture beliefs. If you just try and put a Band-Aid or just put the icing on the batter, it's not going to fucking work, which is, oh, I'm just going to improve my body image, but I can't be bothered liking myself or I can't be bothered unlearning weight stigma or unlearning diet culture. Do you understand how like we can't really get to the like product of the icing being on the cake, which that's actually such a nice analogy because the body image improving is the icing on top. The cake is the important part, right? Liking yourself and unlearning weight stigma and diet culture stuff is the important thing. That's the cake. That's what you need. But the friggin' icing on top, the cream cheese icing on top is improving your body image. That's basically all I want to say on those points. 
So obviously I have a lot of beliefs. If you, if you follow me, you would just be like, this girl, where does she get off ranting and raving? But you know, I think they can, I can tie them back to these threads. First belief, weight stigma and diet culture are bad for all of us. They're especially bad for people in bigger bodies who are oppressed by weight stigma. How weight stigma manifests and how diet culture manifests is toxic for all of us. You know, fat phobic medical treatment, not being given equal job opportunities because of the subconscious bias associated with people in bigger bodies. Yeah, you need to go back to my Butterfly Foundation article. In that article, I say like, privilege isn't someone holding your hand and being like, all right, sweetheart, I'm going to take you through life. Privilege is the obstacles you don't have. That is a Mari Beecham quote. She is an anti-racist educator. That quote is incredible. And she's saying, if you have a hard time seeing your privilege, don't think of it as a leg up. Think of it as the things you don't have to go through. And I implore you to do that with weight stigma. I'm thin and I'm white. I don't feel entitled to speak to people who have lived experience in bigger bodies. I kind of see myself as like a gateway account for people who have similar lived experience to me. And I do, I actually do have lived experience with diet culture being consuming and being poor for my body image. And I have lived experience. I'm not saying woe is me. I'm just being like, this is where you can learn from me. I've got immense privilege and opportunity. And I still was derailed at times. Like I made huge mistakes, didn't give myself enough respect, didn't like love myself enough. Like you know, you can't have regrets because all those things make you who you are. And I struggle with that, but I have to remember, like, that's the stuff that makes you who you are. But most of that stuff, I can honestly link back to not liking myself enough and not backing myself. And I genuinely think that is attributable to diet culture stuff. Of course, we live in like a patriarchal capitalist society. People want us to buy stuff. So to buy stuff, they need to make us feel like we're not good enough because then we'll buy the stuff to make us feel good enough. And then the cycle goes on. That is what I do have lived experience in. And I can feel the difference in my like well-being and my power when I compare them. So that's the first thing I believe in. Weight stigma and diet culture are bad for all of us. Second thing, we need to be aware of the subtle forces of diet culture, which get into our heads and make us think we aren't enough. We aren't hot enough, thin enough, good enough. Because when we feel like we're not enough, no matter how accomplished we can be in other areas of our lives, We aren't in our full power because we are being consumed by feeling like we're not good enough. Even if we're only a little bit consumed, even if it's only a little bit of self-doubt, unlearning diet culture is a tangible thing we can do. There will be many times in our lives where we actually don't have much control over feeling like we're not enough. Let's say it's in like a professional context or like parenting or relationships. You know, those things when there's other people and other forces at play, we don't have a lot of control over. You could also argue we don't actually have much control over unlearning diet culture because it's pervasive and it's everywhere. But I think you can start to unlearn it because now, even though it's everywhere, when I see it, I like I write a post about it or I text someone about it or I roll my eyes at it. I don't let it influence me. Whereas I used to like not even realize it was diet culture. So I used to just internalize the shit out of it. Like even this morning, I was at a you know running class thing. And they were saying so much stuff about getting your summer body and earn your body, get rid of your ISO kilos. And, you know, I did an Instagram story on it. And so many people responded being like, that shit sticks in my head. And then when they fucking said that in the morning, when I just want to go and enjoy a piece of duff and wire at lunchtime, then I'm like, oh, I'm not earning my body or whatever. And we don't want that. Whereas I was like, oh, I need to educate these people. They can't be fucking saying that. So 
Second thing I believe in is really being aware of the subtle cues, the subtle diet culture cues, because I think they're even more damaging now. In the like early 2000s, it was, yes, you know, I've been seeing a lot of stuff recently, like Shameless have done it, um, the BodCon have done it, you know, a few great accounts have uploaded images of magazine covers from the early 2000s that are crook. And no wonder, you know, we all are working through our body image. Those were almost as shocking as they were. Those were easier to see. And so it was obvious that you could easily, right now, if you put that magazine cover out, people would reject it. My issue is those kind of thought processes still go on. They're just massaged into like more wholesome, holistic language, but it can still be diet culture That's why it's hard. Like guilt-free labeling is a big one I believe in. To say guilt-free means that there are foods you should feel guilty for eating. And if you feel guilty for eating foods, that is a huge sign of disordered eating. But my last belief, so there's unlearning weight stigma is belief number one. Belief number two is trying to be aware of an unlearned diet culture. Belief number three is we do one and two so that we can step into our power, all people in all bodies. We don't need to like or love our bodies. I have a very conventionally attractive body. So I don't want to be like on this pedestal like, oh, I love your bodies. No, that is not what I'm about. Accept them. Be grateful for what they do, not how they look. And that is the hardest thing ever. Like that is one thing that you could leave on your to-do list forever. I am a victim and a perpetrator of beauty ideals and diet culture. Diet culture, I'd say it to a lesser extent because of this work. When I was at school, maybe I went for a run and thought about, okay, this is burning off food. Whereas now I go for a run, I'm like, oh my God, this feels so good for my body, my brain. I know I'm going to feel amazing after. I'm going to find the flow. I'm going to stop running if it's uncomfortable. So diet culture, I would say I'm less of a perpetrator, but beauty ideals, I am still a perpetrator. I like the hair lasered and waxed off. I love getting my head and I love makeup, blah, 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 blah. That's okay. I'm not asking all of us to like opt out. That is unrealistic and scary. What I am saying is we need to be mindful. And I think if we just bring some mindfulness to beauty ideals and diet culture, we choose, okay, what learning can I do? What is achievable for me? Then we do our own bit for ourselves, which is like such a beautiful gift you can give yourself. It's just like freeing yourself a little bit. And then when you do that, when you unlearn your diet culture, you unconsciously give others permission to do the same. And that is not just because of what you're doing. Yeah, it's what you're not doing, actually, that's more powerful. You're not saying, oh, you have the chocolate, but I shouldn't. I'm trying to be good this week. You're not saying, oh, I just feel really like bloated and gross. I want to like cleanse this week, I think. You're not saying, I look shit in these jeans. I'm not wearing them. Because when you say those things about yourself, you can pick that thinking up and apply it to everyone around you. Because if you're judging yourself with that venom, everyone else is getting that. You know, women, there is data behind this. And they talk about it in terms of asking for a pay rise. It's so much easier to ask for a raise when you think of all the future women who will benefit from you having those discussions. And I'm using the very like heteronormative idea of women here. In terms of this work, don't just think of it for you. You might be happy where you are now, even though you don't know how good it is when you unlearn diet culture. But think of it for like your daughters, your future daughters. Think of it for your friends. Think about, would I want my friend to think about and treat herself the way I think about and treat myself in relation to like body and diet culture? And if the answer is no, then think, what can I do? I sometimes I'm like, nah, I can hack it. Don't worry about me. But then when someone gives it to me like that and goes, 
yeah, but what would you say if that was your best friend? And you're like, oh no, I never want that for her. It's like, well, why the fuck do you want it for you? You can't bore from an empty cup. You are a better person, friend, all the things if you cultivate this goodness for you. And part of cultivating goodness in our lives is unlearning diet culture. And we want to cultivate that goodness so we can be our most powerful, best versions of ourselves. Final note, things that help me. I always say this, but diversify your feed. Unfollow accounts that do not serve you or that you don't Like, you know, the accounts, they're the ones that make you feel shit. They make you body check. You look at her and you go, oh, dude, I wish I looked like that or whatever it might be. Unfollow. And then Instagram goes, hey, you follow 17 similar accounts and you review them and then you can unfollow some of them. Or you follow a new account that you think, oh, this is going to teach me something or going to help me or this makes me feel good. And then Instagram says, oh, also here are like a dozen other accounts that are similar to that account. Do you want to follow them as well? And you go, yeah my butterfly foundation article. I keep referencing it. It's just very comprehensive. That has some amazing accounts to start with. Another thing, it's okay to feel good and like your body. That's fine. But something I'm doing and I'm noticing it makes a big change is let's say I catch myself in the mirror and I'm like, girl, like you look fucking hot today. Whatever it is. In those moments, I vividly remember as being an 18 year old girl, having a shower at school after going for a run in the morning. And I look down and I remember thinking, oh, my stomach looks really flat. And I remember being like, yes. And even me now, when I like catch that and I go, oh, that's what you're liking. I don't blame that. What I try to do now, and this is not about not celebrating looking and feeling good in your body. Like I get it, feel good, look good, all that shit, whatever that saying is. Of course I can take delight in my body. In those moments where I catch myself, I try not to give it too much gravity, like too much attention. Like, okay, you think you look good, that's fine. When I don't obsess over how good I look, then I also seem to care less about when I don't look as good. I'm not saying to you, don't enjoy your body. Enjoy your body, relish in your body, accept your body, show your body love, feel pleasure in your body, nourish your body, feed your body, move your body, rest your body. But I just think don't obsess so much over wanting to look a certain way in terms of a good way, because then I don't think you obsess so much when you maybe don't look that way. Um, So yes, diversifying your feed, being really conscious of like the compliments and put downs you give your body. And look, it comes back to the equation. It's work out how to like yourself. If you can't access therapy, there are apps like the Mojo Crow app. That's really good about owning your story. Instagram accounts, work out how to like yourself. That is hard. It is uncomfortable. And I still slip up. Let's say I'm feeling really good mentally. Then I stop journaling. I stop doing all the things that like make me feel good. And then I'm like, oh, no, 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 girl. You are really good when you do some journaling and when you have a therapy session or whatever it is. And the other one is you've got to unlearn weight stigma and diet culture. And I think those things improve your body image by miles. 